Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, Barry, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. It's great to be invited. So where in the world are you at the moment? I'm in sunny New Haven, Connecticut. Are you being facetious when you say sunny New Haven, Connecticut? Uh, I am. It's raining out. <laughs> Rain and snow and all kinds of bad It's, it's ep- not snowing. It's uh, not snowing. It's so not just snowing. a bad economy and rain. Well, I'm very happy to have you on the show. And there's many places we can start. You've had a very interesting career. I think as a starting point for the audience, maybe take us through how your thinking on negotiation has evolved, because you've been writing about the subject, teaching it for many, many years. So what's the big changes that we would be expecting to see? When I started out, it was a much more academic investigation. I had not really been involved in major negotiations. I was responding to the literature, and of course, there's a great literature, Nobel Prizes to John Nash and Lloyd Chapley. So there's a a huge academic research. Um, The way in which negotiation was taught was something that I had trouble teaching because it was so experiential, and I didn't have a lot of experience. It was not particularly theoretical. And a lot of it was about how to outsmart, trick, take advantage of the other side. That's true. And the problem is if you teach all the students the same thing, then it's not going to work. The, yeah. the, effect, the effect will be zero. And so I wanted a principled approach. Uh, I'm a game theorist by training, so I want to use game theory. And ultimately, that's what led me to try and develop a new approach to negotiation. But what is the new approach? What's different about it? Because when I speak to executives, I speak to executives every single day. Mm-hmm. And in fact, yesterday I was speaking to someone who was involved in a major M&A deal. Mm-hmm. But the crux of that is it's a negotiation. Absolutely. But they don't see it as a negotiation. They saw it as how do we get the best possible price rather than saying if we squeeze too hard and we get a reputation in the market for squeezing too hard, what's going to happen to the next deal? that we're going to have to do in five years or in two years. So the point I'm trying to raise is that if negotiation is so important in business, why is it so badly taught, almost as an afterthought? Uh, Well, I would say that for years, people have not had a principled approach. And so a lot of people think that uh, the world is this zero-sum game, that the more I get, uh, that's that's my whole goal. Uh, and even separate from the old idea of reputation, there's a question of uh, we can end up with no deal at all. So something that's, quote, a zero-sum game, a zero-sum negotiation isn't yes. because there's a lose-lose outcome if we get no deal. And the thing is, we know from experiments, people reject deals that are positive to them but unfair. That's what we see from what's called the ultimatum game. Yes. If you if you offer somebody $20 and you're getting 80 they'll say no. And then you both get zero. But people do not reject 
fair deals. So but if isn't you can, fair very subjective. What is it? Fair? Is the, yeah. So that's the F word in negotiation. <laughs> and the problem is people throw it around all over the place yes. without ever defining it. And so one of the things we're going to do today is define what the negotiation is about. And then when we've done that, we'll actually know what fairness means. So fairness is relative to the deal being negotiated. Absolutely. It's actually relative to the negotiation pie. So let's talk about that. You have a new book called Split the Pie. Clearly, I'm not going to show this book to my family during Thanksgiving because they're not splitting any pies. But let's talk about this, right? Because you talk about the additional value being created. That's that's absolutely correct. So Now, I haven't heard people talk about this. So maybe unpack that for the audience. What is additional value? Let's make it simple for the audience because we can talk about M&A deals and so on. Um, so let's imagine that we have Alice and Bob who are each thinking about investing in their certificate of deposit, uh, a bond, basically. Okay. And Alice has $5,000 to invest, and Bob has 20000 to invest. Now, interest rates go up the more you have to invest. Yeah. And so again, to keep numbers simple, Alice with 5000 get 1%, which is $50. And Bob with 20000 can get 2%, which is 400 Okay? But if they pool their money together, they can have 25000 to invest, in which case they can get... 3% or $750. Yes. So now the question is, how will they divide up the 750 because if they can't reach an agreement there, then they'll have no deal. Yeah, everyone loses. And so the mistake that most people make is they think the negotiation is over the 750. As a result, they come up with arbitrary divisions. They'll say Bob is investing four times as much money as Alice. 20,000 versus 5,000. Therefore, Bob should get four times as much money. So that means the 750 is divided up 600 to 150. Mm, yes, that is a common way of looking at it. That's the most common way. Other people might think, well, just the only fair thing is to divide the 750 in two. But that's 375, 375, which is less than what Bob can get on his own. Yes. So that's not going to happen. Other people think, well, Look, Bob was earning eight times as much interest because Bob was getting $400 of interest. Alice was only getting 50 So we yes. should divide up the 750 in an 8 to 1 ratio. Okay. I think all of those arguments are misguided because they don't understand what the negotiation is really about. And so let's talk about that, the negotiation pie. Why are Alice and Bob having this negotiation? Without a deal, they can get 50 and 400 which yes. is 450 with a deal, they can get 750 So the entire reason for them to have a negotiation is to go from 450 to 750 or to get an extra 300 And that's now, the additional value. That's the additional value. That's the negotiation pie. That's what the negotiation is about. I want to bring this home for people because sure. for one thing, everyone has their own definition of what a negotiation is, what is the best outcome, and what is the best tactic. Mm -hmm. Now we're introducing a concept where we're saying when you negotiate, mm -hmm. you have to look at the value you would have created by yourself mm -hmm. and subtract that from the total value you'd have created working with someone, which is the additional value. We also okay. have to subtract the value the other person would have created yes. by themselves as well. Okay. So we have to take the joint value we create on our own compared to the joint value we create by coming together. Right. So, so the individual values we would have created combined 
subtracted from the total value we'd create by working together, which gives us the additional value. Correct. And that's the pie. That's the pie. And now we have to decide or negotiate on how we're going to split that additional value. Right. And my view, and this is the other big aha, yeah. is that once you see the negotiation in terms of the pie, you recognize that both sides have equal power. So, how is that possible? How, can, how is that because possible? Because they can veto the deal. Yeah. So basically, you know, look, Alice is smaller. She's bringing less to the table. Her fallback is worse. But if she says no, that 300 disappears. If Bob says no, that 300 disappears. They are equally essential in creating that 300. Hence, they have equal power. Hence, the only fair outcome is to divide that 300, 150, 150. But this only works on the assumption that they can't get another counterparty to substitute the other party in the deal. Yes. What I've done is calculate the pie in a two-person negotiation. Mm -hmm. So uh, you've added one of the, what I'll call the yes buts. If we add a third party, uh, Charles, yeah. who could also invest 5000 and he would be willing to do that for a 3% deal or $150, then it changes what the negotiation pie is. Because now Bob and Charles could also create 750 if you'd yes. like. But on their own, Bob would get 400 Charles would get 150 So if you'd like, now it's 550 so the pie is just smaller. So this makes sense to me, but it would only work if both of the negotiating parties understood they had the leverage and they thought in this way. That's actually a multi-layered question, which is great. Uh, the first thing is, at least one party has to understand the pie. Yes. Because if neither party understands it, that's a problem. Then it's, you know, they'll go back to the traditional proportional solutions. Yes. Okay. Now, what happens if uh, Alice is the only one who understands it? The person with 5,000. Yeah. Well, Alice can explain this to Bob. And in fact, we have run this very experiment where we tell Alice about the pie and we don't tell Bob. And in the negotiation, Alice is present this view. And next thing you know, they move away from proportional to splitting the pie because Bob's have no good counterargument. So let me understand this, right? This is an interesting one. So you ran an experiment where you gave the Alice in the story, the one with the smaller amount, 5,000. Yeah. You explained splitting the pie. Uh, actually, even, we, didn't, we didn't even explain splitting the pie. We explained the, the pie. Concept. Okay. We so explained explain the pie. what the pie is. And I just want to make sure I understood this correctly because it's, it's very counterintuitive. When she presented the concept of the pie, because Bob didn't have the counter argument, he split the additional value 50-50? Uh, so there is no counter argument. Let's just start with that. Yes, okay, there is uh, no okay. counter argument. So he went 50-50. Uh, not entirely. What I, what happened is the uh, average moved from proportional division halfway towards the 50-50 split of the pie. But that's still unusual. Yeah, It well, it shows the power of a principled argument, that when you put principle up against arbitrary, principle wins. And the principle here is that they need each other to secure the additional value. Yes, and the principle is we need to understand what the negotiation is about. What it's if about, you're, that's true. If you're negotiating over 750, you're going to make arguments that make no sense. Yes, and because they're in, not negotiating over 750. It's correct. the difference. 
It's the 300 is why they're coming together. Now, we tried something else. We gave Bob's instructions about anchoring. We said, start with an aggressive number. Yeah. It turns out that was counterproductive. And why was it counterproductive? Was it because Bob wasn't budging or Alice wasn't budging? Where did the bottleneck occur? Well, Bob makes an unreasonable first offer. Let's say Bob offers Alice $50 or something. And Alice says, you know, I'm going to give you a principal story. What you're saying makes no sense. You're trying to take advantage of me. You're trying to steal from me. That's not going to work. Now Bob has to move up from 50 to 150. Then he has to move up to 175. And now Bob shows he's made out of jello, that he has no backbone, that he's just like spaghetti throwing stuff on the wall to see what sticks. And so the problem with anchoring is that uh, it exposes the fact that you have no principle. And therefore, it makes it harder for the other side to believe anything you say. Yes, because obviously a negotiation is built on trust. This is an important point. I want to unpack this for the audience. So in this situation here, Bob is not vindictive. The situation is because he keeps moving to see what will work. Alice doesn't know when he'll move again. Uh, or she keeps on believing he's gonna he's got more to give. Exactly. That- so that's right. So you can see this playing out in geopolitics as well, whereby two countries they make moves to see what the other one will do, but no one knows where the other one is gonna go. You know, they call it sleepwalking into these things. And if you start with an extreme position and it becomes evident that that's not gonna work, and then you have to make a big move, well, either one or two things happen. You stick with an extreme position and there's no deal. Yes. Or you make a big move and then you show that you were just trying stuff out. Uh, moreover, if you offered me $50, I'm going to say to you, what do you think I am? Do you think I'm you know, not paying attention? Yeah. Are you trying to take advantage of me? I don't like you. Now, I've offered you something fair and I'm going to stick with it and I believe you're going to come to my place. So maybe I can give you an example of a negotiation just like this, where uh, there was a person who cared about fairness and somebody who didn't. I want you to go through this example, but for the audience, as you're going through the example, sure, we're always going to come back to what is a definition of fair. And I know that um, you talk about being principled and the definition is dependent upon what is being negotiated and the two parties involved. So let's talk through some of the principles. Sure, there's actually only, this is as simple as can be. Fair is recognizing equal power implies equal division. Equal power implies equal division. I like that. It's not about the size of the contribution. It's about the power you have for the additional value. Yeah. Once you So fair is ultimately splitting the pie because both parties have equal power when it comes to creating the pie. I like that. Okay, let's go through the example. I want the audience to keep that in the back of their head as we go through the example. And I may be quizzing you along the way. So let's, let's, well, I get a little extra excitement here. <laughs> Quiz away. Quiz away. So, the, so there's this uh, entrepreneur who's kind of an idiot because he tries to save money by filing a trademark on his own and not hiring a lawyer. And, you know, he thinks he can save a couple hundred dollars yeah. by doing that. But he doesn't realize that when you file for a trademark, it becomes public. And as a result, uh, there's a troll out there uh, who looks for trademark filings. And when he sees this trademark come in, 
he goes and buys the domain name associated with the trademark. And we'll call that troll Edward because that was the troll's name. Edward the Troll. Sounds Edward like the a troll. troll's name. Um, and so when my friend uh, goes to buy the domain name, he discovers that Edward has it, and Edward writes to him and says, uh, look, I'll sell you this domain name for $2,500. And uh, at that point, my friend feels really bad about his mistake. And I said that he uh, was an idiot, but he's not stupid. And so he does some research and discovers there's an organization called ICANN, which is the International Domain Name Register. And what Edward has done is called registration in bad faith. So if they go to ICANN with a protest, my friend is going to get the domain name back. But wouldn't they have to prove it's in bad faith? Uh, because if, it could have just been a guy who was thinking about starting a business based on that name. How did they prove it wasn't the alternative? Well, my friend has the trademark registered, and Edward has registered it on the same day the filing came out. So... Uh, and by the way, Edward also has a track record of having done this. He's gone in front of ICANN. Oh, he's a real times. troll. Okay, he's, he's a real troll. He, he's done this three okay. times in the past and lost every time. Uh, in fact, actually, when he goes up to ICANN, he doesn't even mount a defense because he knows he's going to lose. Troll. Okay, yes, th this is this is his job. Uh, and ICANN's dispute resolution process cost thirteen hundred dollars. So my friend writes to Edward and says, uh, "Look." You know, the $2,500, uh, that's, that's interesting, but I'd rather pay ICANN $1,300. I'll save money and you'll get nothing. So Edward comes back and says, okay, $1,100. Uh, he knows he has to go below $1,300. Yeah. Now, let's uh, take a pause here and uh, talk about what is the pie. So do you have a sense of that in this case? In this case, yeah. Go ahead. Well, the pie would be the difference between what your friend could pay ICANN and what he could pay, uh, what's his name? Edward, Edward the, troll. the troll. So if they don't reach an agreement, it's Edward's going to get zero, and my friend's going to be at minus 1,300. Yes. If they do reach an agreement, the sum of the two numbers is going to be zero, because whatever my friend pays, Edward is going to be a minus for my friend and a positive for Edward. So we're going to go from minus 1,300 to zero, where the easier way of saying it is that if they reach an agreement, they can save the $1,300 that would have gone to ICANN. Yes, but it assumes that they all know what's happening. There's a fair exchange of information. Okay. Yeah. My friend has been done the research about ICANN, and Edward knows this very well because he's been there many times. This is his job. Yes. So he knows how ICANN works. He knows he's going to lose, and he knows it's a $1,300 fee. So uh, that's what leads Edward to come down to 1100 So my friend writes back and says, you know, your 1100 doesn't seem very fair to me. I just want to check something. Okay. Does your sure. friend understand the concept of the pie when he's doing this? Or are you coaching him as he goes along? What's the background information here? My friend has a very good understanding of the pie. Okay. So uh, he writes back and says, you know, look, this $1,100 number isn't even very fair because if I pay you eleven hundred, you're up eleven hundred, but I'm only two hundred dollars better off than going to ICANN. And it's uh, it would be the same as if I offered you two hundred, 
in which case I'd be up 1100 and you'd only be up 200 I wouldn't expect you to accept 200 any more than you should expect me to accept 1100 There's $1,300 here to be divided. I'm prepared to split that 650-650, in which case I'll be 650 ahead compared to going to ICANN, and you'll be 650 ahead. Did he accept it? So Edward comes and says, uh, look, uh, you're at 650. I'm at uh, 1100. Let's meet halfway, 900. Not halfway is really 875, but he's rounding. Yeah. And that's as far as I'm going. That's my last offer. If you want to do a deal, that's where we have to be. Uh, look how much I've moved. I've come all the way down from 2,500 to 900. Well, Really, I don't think that the move was from 2,500 down to 900 because until he got to a 1,300, it was better to go to ICANN. Yes. And, I mean, this is an example of a non-principled negotiation on his side. Well, my point is actually almost everybody acts the way Edward does. Yes. This is the standard way that people negotiate. They try and throw some outrageous number out there to soften you up. Then they can say they've made this big movement. But I think yes, it's counterproductive because having moved from 2,500 to 1,100 to 900, do I really think he's going to stick at 900? No. No. Uh, and that's also why my friend should not move from 650 to 675 or to 700. Because if he moves, he's giving up his principal. And instead, he's now playing Edward's game. So what my friend does is actually doesn't respond. And a week later, Edward accepts the offer. Now, does Edward care about fairness? No. He's a troll. Does Edward care about the pie? No, he's a troll. Yes. But what he does understand is that my friend cares about the pie and cares about fairness. And your friend's not going to budge. And my friend has no reason to budge. He hasn't, he hasn't given my friend a reason to budge. And so, therefore, that's what I mean by principle beats arbitrary. So let me just unpack this. It's a very interesting discussion. Would this imply that for every negotiation, there is a correct outcome, which we call there's a, a fair outcome? There's a fair outcome. Which Absolutely. is the correct outcome. It's, a, it's the principled outcome. It's the fair outcome. So it's the outcome I believe should happen. Is that the same as the correct outcome? I mean, if we define correct as fair, sure. And in a fair outcome, whoever has power should have an equal split of the additional value. Both sides have equal power, therefore they should have an equal split. Unless one side does not know they have equal power and they're unable to negotiate in that way. Yeah. So if my friend didn't understand the pie, then you know anything goes and they could be playing the same kind of game. Now, as you've probably guessed and you kind of did, my friend was me. Yes, uh, kind and, of figure that out, Barry. Yeah. And, of course, there's another moral here, which is spend $12 ahead of time and register the domain name before you file for a trademark. Okay? Yes, that's uh, true. That's another important lesson. But the reason I share this story is it shows the ability to use the pie framework even when only one side understands it and cares about it. Yes, because you can still manage the negotiation in that way. Mm-hmm. Because whatever you respond is half of the negotiation, so you can take it down a principled path. So why do you think most people don't do this? It seems so obvious to me. So I love the fact that it's obvious in hindsight. It always is, right? Uh, 
But I would say it's not the way people naturally think about the world. They might say, uh, and I can't tell you how many people have said this, oh, look, this uh, domain name is worth 50000 to you, so you should be splitting that 25000 25000 And the answer is no, the negotiation is not about the domain name because I'm going to get the domain name whatever happens. Yes. I'm either going to get it by buying it from Edward or by getting it from ICANN. So really, the negotiation is not connected to the value of the domain. It's connected to avoiding the ICANN fee. Yes, and, the additional value created. And we just don't frame the negotiation. We think of the 750 in interest, not the 300 in extra interest. I want to reframe the question I asked you. It's not why don't people use this. My feeling is even if you taught people this, they default to standard behavior within a week. Uh, so I don't have the weak effect. Yes. Uh, but I can tell you right away when we teach them in the experiment, it greatly improves how they do in a negotiation. And they keep using this approach? or do they? Well, we, don't, we, did, we didn't do the experiment asking what happens a month later. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you that there are many examples from my students who, years after the course, have told me about how they were able to apply this approach and end up with more money in a negotiation. Do you have an example of this being used in a corporate setting so we can see how companies have applied this? Sure. So uh, the example from uh, my student was that he was involved in an M&A deal, uh, a merger deal, mm-hmm. and that the they had agreed on price and everything was done. And then there was the question of how would the legal fees uh, and the banker fees be paid? And it turned out that uh, this would create tax losses. And those tax losses, if they were transferred to the uh, acquiring company, would then create a $15 million tax savings. So it's a big savings. So it's a big savings. And uh, the target company said, well, these tax losses are coming from my expenses. So therefore, I should get that $15 million. Yes. And the lawyer on the other side, who had been one of my students, said, well, they may be your savings, but you need our profits in order to have the tax losses count. So only by putting your tax losses with our tax profits can we actually create the 15 million savings. Therefore, we should split it seven and a half, seven and a half. And there was no counterargument to that. And so that's what they did. I like this example because it's a very simple way of negotiating if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Because most negotiation, I've read many books on negotiation. In fact, I was just at a negotiation course about four months ago. And they turned it into a very complicated set of rules in terms of how you intimidate the person, mm-hmm. how you read their body language, yeah. how you know when's the best time to push for it, how many times you say no. I didn't mm-hmm. think it was a very good course because I didn't feel there was a principle that I could apply behind it. It felt as if I'm a hustler, almost. Yes. So let me take a step back on this point. As you said at the beginning, I teach at Yale. And my students there, I love them. They are smart. They are empathetic. They are caring, uh, curious, until they start negotiating, at which point they start acting like jerks. Yes, because they're taught to act that way. Or they think that they have to do that because that's the only way to protect themselves. You said something important here. Yeah. People negotiate in a certain way because they think they are protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. 
it basically, it's a protection mechanism where they have to be aggressive because they think the more they get or starting with this absurd position is going to protect them. Or the intimidation or the repeating something or the ultimatums or whatever it is they're doing, they think is the right approach uh, to negotiate. Yes. So as a result, Wearing they, down people. they don't like it. They hate themselves in the process. They're not good at being jerks and they end up with no deals. And so the ir- irony here is that all the tools that would allow them to be a great negotiator, they throw out the window. Yes, because they're not being rational. There's no principles. It's about intimidation tactics. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've actually spoken to someone who was lead negotiator in one of the biggest tech companies in the world. And he was talking to me and he was telling me about how aggressive he was in negotiations. Yeah. And the interesting thing about him is he had to retire at the age of 35 because of the excessive burnout. Yeah. Um, now, what you've suggested is actually an idea that came to me after writing the book and then snuck in, is really to change the whole order in which we do a negotiation. So what we should do is agree up front on how we're going to negotiate. People oh, like jump... That way too quickly talk about price. Yes. That's a disaster. They could do a better job by discussing why do you want this deal? What's important to you? What do you care about? What are your interests, not just your positions? But even before we get to that, can we agree up front that what we're going to do is create a big pie and split it? Well, let's just unpack that so the audience sure. can think about how to do that. So let's assume I'm going to buy a house, right? Mm-hmm which is a very fraught, tense negotiation. For most mm-hmm. people, it's the biggest purchase they'll make in their lives. Mm-hmm. So how would that work? Because, so let's assume someone wants to sell a house for, let's take an arbitrary well, number one. Can, I, can I use a real case? Because we actually have one. Oh, uh, let's do that. Let's do that. So, Perfect. Uh, it was my mother. Okay. Uh, she, she was renting a house in Sarasota, Florida. And the person who was her landlord said, this is a hot market. And so I'm going to put your house up for sale. Okay. But because I like you, because you're the tenant there and blah, 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 I will sell you this house for 790000 rather than the 800000 I'm planning on listing it for. Okay. So uh, first question here is, what is the pie? Does your mom know this technique? Uh, well, you know, uh, I think <laughs> I've trained her well. I, I've tried. Uh, so uh, you'll be the judge of it by the end. Okay, so when when she is negotiating, she's applying these principles and the landlord doesn't know about it. Well, she's going to explain it to the landlord pretty quickly. Okay. So, uh, so what's the pie in this case? Well, in the United States, uh, there's this crazy system where real estate agents uh, tend to take 5% of the purchase price of a house. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, in Australia, they do auctions, which is much more sensible, but here... Uh, we have this crazy real estate deal, uh, agent fee. And so if he lists this house and doesn't sell to my mother, he's going to pay 5% to a real estate agent, which is roughly $40,000. And so my view is that's the pie in this negotiation, that if my mother were to buy this house, they can save the real estate agent fee. And so she writes back saying, uh, look, I think there's a $40,000 agent fee that we can save, and I'd be happy to split that with you, 20000 20000 
and pay the market price for the house, minus the 20000 So he writes back and says, uh, Marsha, I don't think you understand. This is a hot market. I have more power here. So therefore, I should get more of that 40000 Okay, What do you think about that argument? Well, obviously, it doesn't make sense because if your mom walks away, he's going to have to pay the... So the fact that it's a hot market is why the market price is high. But that's not why you should split the pie any differently. So she says, look, if you get 800000 from some other buyer, you're going to net seven sixty. And if I buy this equivalent house from some other seller, I'm going to have to pay 800000 And that gap, that $40,000 gap, is only achievable. We can make that savings only if I buy from you and you sell to me. And so we need each other to save that 40000 so that's why we should do it 2020. It's almost as if the principle you're applying is looking for an alignment of interests here. The negotiation is about our joint interest. Yes. Yeah, so basically, you're finding that area where the interests intersect and where it only exists where it intersects. And then you have to decide how you're going to split that. Yeah, because that's why we're negotiating. That The point of the negotiation is to do something better than we can do on our own. That is our joint interest. That's why we're doing this deal. So most people don't think about negotiation like that. The way you said it now is a very nice way of describing it. How can we do something better by working together? And how do we make the deal work? Because it can be better if we work together. Because most people, when they're going to negotiations, it's about how do I get the best deal for myself and I don't care about the other person. So then what happens is what we've done is turn negotiation from a back-and-forth argument into what I call a data exercise. Mm. Because what's the market price? Well, this was a housing development. There were five other sales on that street in the last six months. So just look at price per square foot and adjust this house based on its size compared to the other houses that have sold. And you're done. And he gets it. And now he actually becomes a convert. He says, you know, look, if instead of each of us hiring our own lawyer, we both hire the same lawyer to act as a neutral, impartial party, party, we can save another $2,000. And my mom says, yeah. And so there we go. They split that pie too. Because now there's trust, right? So they can... Well, there's trust and there's a principle, yes. which is our goal is to create the biggest pie possible because I'm getting half of everything we create. I like this. How come I haven't heard about this principle more? Is it just because it's only come out in your book recently or I have not been to Yale yet? Uh, you know, you haven't been to Yale. What can I tell you? I haven't you? been to Yale. I mean, I should go to Yale. Right? I get to visit Connecticut more often. Uh, so that's why, uh, you know... You don't want to go and just say the same thing everybody else is saying. Uh, There has to be a a motivation. And uh, my objective in writing this book is a big one. It is to change the way people negotiate. I think you've actually changed maybe the definition of negotiations. Because for most people, negotiations are about getting the best deal. This is about creating value and splitting the pie fairly. Well, by the way, I think that is the way to get the best deal. Because let's be clear, if the two parties together can't do better than having the biggest pie. Yes. And so, uh, and if we've established that right up front, that we're going to split the pie, then what are we going to spend our efforts on? Making the pie big. And we're always going to have a deal. We're not going to run into headlocks and deadlock and end up with zero, zero. And that example you gave with your mom 
they made the pie bigger by only having one lawyer as well. Yeah, so first they saved the 40000 Yeah. Because if he insisted on seven ninety, you know, my mom said, you know what? I think you're being a jerk. That I gave you a principled argument. You're making a ridiculous argument. I don't like dealing with people who are obstinate. And the thing is, my mom is risking 10000 He's risking thirty. Just But the value can only be created together. Yeah, so you make me a, an argument that says why I should split it other than 50-50. I'll listen to you. But I don't listen to random, arbitrary arguments, threats, ultimatums, BS. I can imagine how much value is being lost because of the way parties negotiate today. Yeah. And I've seen it all the time, car negotiations, home negotiations. You see it a lot during divorces. I mean, that's like the most fraught negotiation of all, where everyone's going in and asking for everything and there's no principle at all. Uh, well, in some states, there actually is a principle, which is... Uh, the spouse is entitled to half the value created during the marriage. And so uh, actually it's very much a split the pie. Uh, the challenge is, I don't know if you've seen the Ted Lasso show on uh, Apple TV. Only season where, one. Season one. Well, so the spouse basically uh, wants to destroy the team that her husband had created to, because uh, her goal is to make yes. his pie small. Well, yes, uh, I mean, California has that rule as well. Most states 50-50. But the thing is, then it's all the hiding of the assets. and the, Sure. That's what makes it very fraught but, process. But or even sometimes just destroying the asset because you don't want the other person yes. to uh, to enjoy it. So, yeah, I've seen that. That's really common, spending things and giving it away and hiding things and moving it into the names of family members and so on. But I can imagine that if both parties understood the additional value of working together to increase the size of the pie. I mean, for the start, you could save on all those lawyer fees. Absolutely. And, you know, look, I've been married with the same woman for 40 years, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask here. But yeah. uh, the truth is divorced parents often have, you know, custody and they're joint custody and they have yes. to figure out how to make that work. And they're going to be at weddings together. And they're going to be at engagement parties and births parties yes. uh, and grandparents. And if you can't be together in the same room, that's going to be super hard. That's going to make the pie small. So finding a way to remain friends uh, makes the pie a whole lot bigger. I like that example, yeah. Because when most people think of a divorce, they think about the marriage ending, but the relationship doesn't end. Yeah, especially if you have if you have if you don't have kids, okay, the relationship might very well be over. Yeah. But if you do have kids, uh, that relationship is never done. Yes, but even without kids, I mean, there's paperwork and things you need from your spouse sure. years later. Maybe they have some copy of some rare document, mm -hmm. and they're hiding it because you screamed at them and threw a chair at them during the negotiation. Barry, this was amazing. I actually enjoyed this immensely. It's one of the best podcasts I think we've done this year, because. Wow. I think it's a very simple concept. It's a very useful concept. And I can see it having a big impact with our audience. So I want to thank you for this. It was amazing. You did an amazing job explaining something that I think we take so much for granted. We all think we are good negotiators, but nobody really has a set of tools and principles that they can use that are so, that's so easy to understand. So I really like this. I can see myself using this quite a lot in my own life, actually. And that's always the personal test I have. If I, if I speak to someone, can I use it myself with clients? Can I use it myself in my personal life? And I can see this being very useful. I hope you keep teaching this. 
because I think it's great. I hope your new book does well because it's such a powerful concept. And I can't say that about many <laughs> new tools I get exposed to. This is one of the better ones. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I like to say there's nothing so practical as a good theory. And it allows you to cut through all of the clutter that gets people confused, making arguments that end up being self-serving. Um, and uh, our goal is to turn something that is a challenging competitive process into a cooperative process. Now, look, I don't just claim I'm going to be nice to the other side. Yes. Uh, let's be clear. I'm not saying to Edward, hey, there's $1,300 pie. You can have 1200 of it because anything better than 1300 works for me. Yes. Uh, it's like, no. Uh, and people say, also in negotiation, you can never let the other side know what your batna is, your fallback. Well, I revealed it. I told yeah. him, you know, look, my fallback is paying 1300 But you know what? That doesn't mean I'm going to pay you 1200 So essentially what we've done is by having people understand what the negotiation is about, having a principle connected with it, uh, and starting off the negotiation by talking about how we're going to negotiate, you're going to say, wait a second, that didn't even feel like a negotiation. That yes. felt like it was a problem solving. Now, let me end by saying, yeah, there are a lot of yes buts. What if there are more than two parties? What if one side cares about the pie a lot mm -hmm. more than the other? Uh, why should the party that's the bigger party reveal this to the smaller party? So I talked to you about when Alice knew, yeah. but not Bob, but what if only Bob knows about it? Should Bob reveal this to Alice or not? And so there's a lot of questions that aren't yet been, we didn't have a chance to get to. Uh, how do you grow the pie? What are the tools for making that happen? And that's why there's a book, not just a podcast. Yes, and I think the idea of growing the pie through the negotiation is something parties don't really think about. They mm -hmm. see it as something fixed. I must get the most of it rather than how do I have these principles work with the counterparty so we can grow the pie so we both can get more of this pie. Absolutely. Do you, do you want an example of that? Let me Yes, know. please. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So imagine uh, a couple is selling a gas station. So did you say selling a gas station? Selling a gas station, a petrol station for petrol the rest station, of the world. Yeah. Uh, and their goal in life is to take a trip around the world on a sailboat. That's nice. And they think they're going to need $500,000 to do that. The problem is the station is only worth 470000 And so uh, they're asking for an amount that's just unreasonable. Now, the first question I say is, should they reveal to the buyer why they're selling the station? Do you have a view on that? Yes, I think they should. I, I do too. I think people in the United States, we have something called the Miranda rights. When the police arrest you, they yeah. say anything you say can and will be yes. used against you. Yeah. <laughs> people think a negotiation is like that. Yes. And so I can't reveal why I'm selling. But there are bad reasons for selling and good reasons. A bad reason is there's a leak in the storage tank. And I, my gas station is yeah, about yeah. to become a super fun site. So from the buyer's perspective, my wanting to take a trip around the world is actually a good reason. It's a good reason, yeah. And so You're not buying a lemon. I'm not buying a lemon. So people will do white lies. They'll say things like, I plan to retire. And effectively not reveal what's going on. But if the buyer is curious and says, wow, a trip around the world, you know, you're, you're, you're young. It's, you know, yeah, we want to do this while we're still young. Great. And what are you going to do after you finish the trip? Well, you know, that's actually a, an issue for us that 
we're going to need a job when we come back, and we're a little worried about that. So yeah. one of the things we need is a reserve fund to help us uh, resettle when we come back. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, you're great station managers. Would you like a job working for our company managing? I can't promise you it's the same station, but, you know, we have lots of gas stations. Well, that's a great example of With that, how using the other information to offer something different. Would that work for you? And so I'm trying to give the other side what it is they want, because if I can get them on that boat, what yes. happens? I get to own the station. So I don't try and give them more money, but when I understand what they really want, my goal yes. is to give it to them. So then I think, well, what else, what other problems do you have? It's like, well, you know, uh, what are you going to do with a boat when you come back? It's like, yeah, well, actually, all of our savings are going to be tied up in that boat. And we're going to need the money from that boat to get a down payment on an apartment. You say, oh, boy. So you mean you're going to sell the boat? Yeah, yeah, we're going to sell the boat. Are you worried about a fire sale? Yeah, well, you know, we don't want to have to sell that boat too quickly. Oh, so if I were to give you a loan against that boat when you come back so that you could wait six months before selling it rather than six weeks, would that help? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Now, let's say what happens here. Uh, I've created a big pie. Because I've solved two problems of theirs. Now, they're going to have to pay me for that by giving me a lower price for the station. Okay. But you know what? They're managing to take their trip, and I'm managing to get the station. Yes, because you are focusing on what the other party wants. You're getting to the root cause. Yeah. I'm getting to their problems that I can solve yes. and create value. Because if they have to sell the boat at a price that's $50,000 too low because it's a fire sale, and I can avoid that. I've created a $50,000 pie that I get 25000 of. Yes. And that's, you know, that's, that's good amazing. for both of us. That's, that's a very different mindset about how to create value. It's about going past what you think the transaction is about to understanding how the other party views the transaction. Why are they doing it? Why is it important to them? Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier to have these conversations once we've agreed that our goal is to create a big pie and split it because now we don't have to watch my back. Yes, I'm going to lo lose some money in the sense that I'm going to get a little less from my station, but I'm going to yeah. save the 50000 on the fire sale part. Yes, and it's about getting them to understand that. Well, it's, it's the principle, right? Mm -hmm. Additional value, talk them through it. And in this way, you're talking them through it without lecturing them. You're showing them the value. I am exploring together. Yes. Uh, what's ironic, typically, in these cases, is it isn't that the person says, oh, could you give me a loan? Or, you know, I really need a job when I come Nobody back. Nobody says that, right? Well, they didn't even think of my yes. offering that. And they don't know what my capabilities are. And so they have to just reveal what their problems are, some of which I can solve. They may say, you know, uh, I need maintenance on my boat when I'm away. Well, I can't help you with that. That was yeah. a nice one. Um, how about putting your logo on my sails? No, I don't really want two scruffy people yeah. the, you know, advertising my brand. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, so not all ideas are going to go and, and make a pie bigger. But if our objective is to make a big pie, then we share what we can each do for the other. Yes. And what I like about this is it's not a discussion about money. It's about a discussion about value mm -hmm. and making that value, the pie, as you call it, the bigger so everyone benefits more than if they had to find another counterparty. Mm -hmm. And that's this uh, other motto or message, if you like. I want to give the other side what it is they want. In this example, is this a personal story of yours? Uh, no, it's a case that I teach with my students. 
Okay. And uh, it's an interesting question of what fraction of them are able to see these interests because if they don't, then either one of two things happens. They don't do a deal, yes. which is sad, or they overpay, which is which sad. Which is also sad. Uh, and so, therefore, uh, it's forcing them to work together. And another message that comes out of this is use creativity as a first resort, not a last resort. Yes, I like that. Because the more information, the better, because you can understand the counterparty. Absolutely. And if you wait till the end of the negotiation, you're tired, you're exhausted. You don't necessarily like the person anymore. And so when you're still fresh and idealistic is a good time to start exploring how you can do problem solving together. I like this. A brilliant example. Barry, thank you so much for this podcast. I really enjoyed it. I think it was amazing. You definitely have a gift for this. I hope you keep teaching for a very long time. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for making this pie bigger for the world. Let's split it thank together. Thank you, We'll Cheers. be in touch and uh, take care. Hopefully okay. we'll have you on the show again soon. You bet. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.